just like to turn to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. And we'll start reading from, from verse 13 through to 18. <clears throat> It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say, Thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, some others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. Just bow in a word of prayer, please. Oh, Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, this evening, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for the word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are the rock, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can stand upon the word of God. Lord Jesus, we ask this evening, Lord, that we don't want something that tickles the ears of men and women, Lord, but Lord, we want something from your heart this evening. Lord, anoint our minds, Lord, to be receptive to your word. Lord, bless us, Lord, as we open these scriptures together, Lord. But Lord, I just pray, Lord, for an unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you are our everything, Lord. Lord, we need you every hour of every minute of the day, Lord. Lord, we're nothing without you, Lord. Lord, and I just pray, Lord, that people see your majesty. Lord, not see a man, but see you, Jesus. Because, Lord, it is all about you. In the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Giving you thanks. Amen. Well, I've called this Christ the Rock. And to start off with, you notice the location is, is Caesarea Philippi. And this was a, a, a remote location. It was, it was right up into the, the, uh, the north. I think it was the northeast, towards the northeast. Uh, and uh, it was right up at, towards the border of what was called... Judea at that time so it was quite out of the way and this conversation or what happened here was when the Lord was walking in between some villages he was on a road and this conversation happens it tells us a bit more in Mark and Luke it fills in a bit more details but it also tells us that the Lord had just come out of prayer he'd just come from praying so the first thing is I want to know why did the Lord take them out of the way to this place? Why did they take them away from, 
from the hustle and bustle, if you like, at that time to this, this remote uh, mountainous region, as it would have been. And the thing was, when you actually read and you sort of get the feel for where they were and the disciples when they were walking with the Lord, they couldn't believe what was happening. You see, as they walked with the Lord, they started to understand more and more who he was. They started to see things. He was, he was expounding the truth like they'd never heard it before. They were starting to see captives set free. They were, they were seeing people healed. Things were happening around this man. And they knew he was different. They knew there was something different about him. But what they couldn't understand was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the religious leaders at that time just didn't want him. They didn't want to know him. People were against him and they couldn't grasp what was happening. If he's the promised one, what's going off? Why are people so much against him? So he took them out of the way so he could get them alone. He could get them alone because they really just didn't understand what was to come either. As I said, they started to understand who he was, but they couldn't understand what was going to happen. That there was coming a time when he would leave them, but he would leave them in a way that they could not grasp. He would leave them in a way that would take, he would take that cross and he would be crucified by wicked men. And they just wouldn't have been able to grasp what was going on. And in fact, it's plain to see when you, you look in verses 21 and uh, through to 23, that Peter didn't even grasp it when he told him that I'm going to die. And he said, no, no. But this is what was going to happen. So how is the Lord preparing them? The only way the Lord can ever prepare somebody to go through whatever the Lord has for us, it's one way and one way alone. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. That was the only thing that was ever going to sustain them. That was the only thing that was ever going to bring them through. After his death, there'd be, there'd be so much treachery. There'd be so much people turning against them. There'd be persecution. They needed to have it settled in their heart who he was. And when we look at verse 13, it said, Whom do, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And notice it says John the Baptist, Elias, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. You see, the Lord already knew what people thought about him. But he wanted to emphasize something here. He wanted to make a contrast between the wrong answer and the right answer. To show them. But you'll notice something as well. All these things that people were saying about him. They were all forerunners. You know, at best, they were prophets, men of God, but not the Messiah. Not the promised one of Scripture. Not Jesus the Christ. And I believe the reason why was because 
People were very comfortable in the religious ceremonies. You see, the life was comfortable. Everything about it was comfortable. And you see, the problem was, when they ha- if they had to accept that he was the one, that he was Jesus Christ, that he was God in flesh, then they would have to accept that what he was saying was true. That the ceremonies didn't mean anything. That this lip service that they were giving him didn't mean anything if if their heart was far from him. And you see that truth, it cut them like a knife. But this is what Jesus was saying to them. Your heart needs to be right. Your heart needs to be right. And people couldn't accept that. You see, even now, people think when they hear the gospel or Jesus Christ, they think, well, I'm going to have to give up so much. You know, I'm going to have to give up friends. I'm I'm, going to have to give up the drink. You know, I'm going to have to give up all these things. And I, I remember one time, funnily, when I wasn't saved, there was a man, he was a Christian, and he said to me, we were talking one time, I'll never forget it, and he was sort of trying to give me the advantages of being a Christian. And I remember he said something to me, he says, I, I, I don't drink, he says, I don't smoke, and he says, you know, I, I don't go anywhere, all, all these places and that, and he says, well, if you think about it, he says, I'm going to live longer. And I said to him, no, you're not. It just seems longer. I couldn't understand it. I thought, what is it? I thought the price was too high. I thought the price was too high. But you know what? I realized something. The price is far too high without him. It's far too high without him. There's a million ways to hell, but there's only one way to the God's eternal love, and it's Jesus Christ and Christ alone. One way. When you look at verse 15, it says, but whom say ye that I am? It's one of the most important questions anybody is ever going to be asked. Who do we say Jesus Christ is? Who is he? What does he mean to us? And I want to give you a few quotes that have happened over the years. And Pilate said he was a man without fault. Napoleon said, I know men and Jesus Christ is no mere man. René, the French French atheist, said he's the greatest among the sons of men. Theodore Parker called him a youth with God in his heart. And John Stuart Mill, the philosopher, said, he's the guide of humanity. You know, these are all very nice things. But they're nowhere near who Jesus Christ really is. Jehovah's Witnesses will tell you he was an angel or some, some angel. Mormons will tell you he's one God of many. And the Muslims will tell you that he was a prophet. You see, men and the ideas of men will always sell you short of who Jesus Christ really is, always. And you know, we have to be careful about this question. Who is Jesus Christ? Because in 1 John chapter 5, verses 9 through 10, it says, If we receive the witness of men, 
the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. But listen to this. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave his Son. Do we really want to be thrust into an eternity knowing that you have made God a liar? Because you didn't believe the witness of his son, Jesus Christ. I hate these religions that try to turn who Jesus really was. Because it does such an injustice to the Lamb of God. Such an injustice to people because it's leading them to hell. Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Verse 16, the perfect answer. Simon Peter answered and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, when we get this, when we get who Jesus Christ really is, when you start to understand who he is, when you start to have a relationship, not religion, a relationship with him. You see, when you can get to them places where you get time alone with him, and he just comes in, and the way that only Jesus Christ can come in, whether it's a situation, he knows what you're burdened with, whether you're seeking him, and sometimes you're there and you think, Lord, I know you're here. I thank God I know you. I thank God you're with me. You see, when you say that to a Muslim or a Mormon or a Jehovah's Witness or somebody who's not saved or even a Catholic priest, they can't understand what you mean because they don't know Jesus Christ. They don't have that relationship. In fact, they look at you as though you've got two heads. Because that's the difference. That's what Christianity is. It's about God living inside a man or a woman. It's about that relationship. There's nothing you can do about it. But you just open yourself to him. And he does everything. He just comes in. And he cleans house. You know, I remember a quote by Leonard Ravenhill. And I remember this, and I always love it. He said, Jesus Christ didn't come into this world. He said, he didn't come into this world to, ba- to make bad men good. He came into this world to make dead men live. That's exactly what he does. We come alive at him. I remember that day and hour when I was sat in the living room. I think when I met, it was Angela's dad actually for the first time. And I was speaking to a man that had the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And I remember when he spoke to me and he told me about the Lord. To be honest with you, it repulsed me. I didn't want anything to do with it, no. I quickly went upstairs. But I am so thankful that I got that revelation. I'm so thankful that I met with somebody who had that relationship with Jesus Christ. And years and years down the line, uh, he always used to say something to me and it always stuck with me. He said, son, make sure you get Jesus Christ right. Because if you get him wrong, then everything's wrong. And he was spot on. Verse 17, and it says, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Notice what he said. Flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father in heaven. Isn't that beautiful? As much, put it like this, as much as I love my children, I can tell them, I can show them scriptures, I can do all that, but I can't give them the revelation that I had of Jesus Christ. They're going to have to get it for themselves. And so do we. But no one thing, it's him that reveals himself on you. If you want him, he'll reveal himself. But it's only him. Ephesians chapter 1, 4 and 5, it said, According as he hath cho chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Isn't it fantastic to know that he's chosen us from the foundation of the world? An eternity past, he knew our name. And I always have to laugh at what Charles Hatton Spurgeon once said. He says, I am so glad that he chose me from the foundation of the world because if he could see me now, he might not have bothered. <laughs> the, the revelation of Jesus Christ was essential preparation for the disciples. It's the truth that sets us apart. And when you look, there was two men that walked with the Lord. One was Judas Iscariot, and the other one was Peter. Both men denied the Lord. See, Peter, he went away and broke his heart in repentance. And you know what? The Lord come looking for him. Judas went and hung himself. That's the difference. That's the difference, what the revelation does. Look at this in Luke chapter 22, verse 31 and 32. And it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And it's, isn't it amazing to think 
the one thing the devil cannot understand is no matter how he pushes somebody who's had this revelation, how he tries to separate them, all the things that he, he, he would try and come against them as much as he can, but he doesn't understand the Lord doesn't give up on his own. He doesn't give up on his own. He'll strengthen you. He will give you that strength that you need. He'll go through it with you because he's been there. But no one thing, when you get this revelation, the devil's got to come knocking. Because that's what he does. But you see, when he does, that's when you push into Jesus Christ. He's far stronger than having a devil. He'll keep you. The other thing the Lord does when he comes into a man and a woman He gives them a broken heart. I remember, I remember years ago, I don't think I've ever told anybody this, to be honest. I remember years ago, I was full of drink, I was full of drugs, and I was in the city centre in, in England, in Derby. I was stumbling around. I saw a man with a rucksack. He got up on one of the benches, surrounded by people. And he started to preach the gospel. I mocked that man. But he preached. And I knew there was something about him. God forgive me I pray for that man every day wherever he goes that he would touch people's lives because you see that man he had more guts on his little finger than I had in my own body that night he was called all the names you cannot imagine but he kept on preaching he kept on preaching Verse 18, and it said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I want to just look at Peter's name quickly here. It's a word patros in the Greek, and it means a small or a piece of rock. And I believe that his name Peter was to signify the strength and the stability of the confession of who Jesus Christ was. But you also have to see that when he got this revelation, it was like laying a foundation stone in him or a piece of a foundation stone in him. And when you actually look at what John the Baptist said in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 9, and it says this, it says, I think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. Or I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now, notice there, stones. Notice that word. Right now, Luke 19. We'll look at verses 37 through to 40. 
And I want you to see this. And it says, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Saying, Blessed the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Now I'm not saying that the Lord couldn't have made literal stones to cry out to worship him. But what I am saying is I think he's talking in a metaphorical sense of stones. These foundation stones that had been laid in people as it was in Peter, stone, because they got the revelation of who he was. They would have cried out and worshipped him because of who he was. Because they had to. Because he was Jesus Christ. So if we go back to our base reading, we're told in verse 18, it says, Upon this rock I will build my church. The word rock in the Greek is Petra, which means a rock or a large stone. In Isaiah 28 and 16, it says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay on Zion for a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Obviously, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to remember, when there's a foundation stone laid, or a cornerstone laid. That is the strength of the building. But I tell you something else as well. When there's a cornerstone laid. That means that there's a change in direction. And that's what happened. When Jesus Christ come in. There was a change in direction. There was a strength added. But there was a change in direction. For the whole of Christianity. There was a breaking away from the old mentality. There was a breaking away from them old sacrificial system because it was all done. It was all got to be done through him, through Jesus Christ. Now you didn't have to go to a place to meet with him. You could meet with him because he was going to come into you. This is what the church needs to grasp. It's Christ, the hope of glory that's in you. It's in you. And if you're not saved, you can have it too. And you see all them things that are on you. You see them things that weigh you down. I'm not going to say come to Christ and you've got to float in to glory on a cloud because it's not going to happen. I'll be honest, it's not going to happen. But you know something that will happen. You'll go through your trials. You'll go through your troubles. But let me tell you something. You'll have a strength that you never had before. You'll have that strength. I just want to have a look at some of the characteristics of the rock, our Lord. If you have a Bible, actually turn with me, please, to Zechariah chapter 3 and 9.
actually verse 8. We'll start with verse 8. Verse 9. It says, Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for thou are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant the branch. Now you see that word branch there? He's talking about the Lord. But you see, like, you've heard of Jesus being called the Nazarene. Nazarene means branch. So when he's talking about the branch, he's talking about the Lord. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes, before I will engrave the engraving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. Now you'll notice something here. A stone having seven eyes. Now that does seem a bit strange, granted. But you see, I was told one time... <clears throat> When you come across these verses, I was actually told by uh, Pastor Charles Jennings, the best interpretation of Scripture is Scripture. So would you turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 5. says and I beheld and lo in the midst of the throne of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth now we know that the lamb that was slain was Jesus Christ and then we're told from this scripture that the seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God were sent forth so if you would like to turn with me now we'll find out what these seven spirits are to Isaiah chapter 11 <clears throat> starting at verse 1 down to verse 5 and it and it says, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch. There's the branch again. Shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom, of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither approve after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove the inequity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips and shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. So you look there, seven spirits. It says, the spirit of the Lord... It's the Holy Spirit. The spirit of wisdom is judgment. His judgment. The spirit of understanding is his discernment. The spirit of counsel is advice. The spirit of might is strength. 
The spirit of knowledge is awareness and insight. And the spirit of fear is a holy reverence. This is a perfect description of Jesus Christ in all his characteristics. And it's the attributes of the king and priest. What I want to put forward to you. Let me ask you, what more do we need? In all honesty, what more do we need? What, what more can we add to? When Jesus Christ gave this revelation, that's the solid rock. That is the only firm foundation you are ever going to have. I can tell you one thing, you can go into this world, you can do all the things of the world, but let me tell you, they won't satisfy you. I've been there. They brought me near enough to destruction and ruin. But when I came to Jesus Christ, I knew that I had something different in me. When I got that revelation of who he was, I no longer wanted the things of the world, but I wanted him. And you see, since I've come to him, you see, since I've come to know him, I've had a strength to face things that I never thought possible. I never, never say to anybody, it's easy. But I can tell you one thing, it's worth it. You may think, oh, giving up the drink, oh, giving up my friends. Give it up. Give it up. They're not worth it. Because let me tell you something, when eternity comes knocking, they're not going to be at your side. When eternity comes knocking on that day, they're not going to be there. You're not going to think, oh, I wish I had another drink. I'll tell you something that might flash through your mind, though. I wonder if this Jesus Christ, whether it was all real. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is as real as I am studying now. He changes lives. He breaks addictions. He moves on people like you would never believe. But it's all him. Stop playing with the idea. Get serious with Jesus Christ. Let them bury us down. Let him into your heart. If you have to have a broken heart, then have one. It's better than the heart that the world will give you. Full of iniquity. Full of need. Jesus Christ isn't like that. He fulfills your every need. He breaks every chain. It will strengthen you for whatever you need on that road with him. But you know, once more, it's a beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ because you know that you're loved. And you know something else? Brother, sister, the whole world could be against you. But you see one man, one woman with Jesus Christ, you're always in the majority with him. No matter what this world has to throw at you. It's Jesus Christ and Christ alone. You get to know him. And you can't help but be changed. God bless you. And thank you for listening.